Thanks for choosing a 3CR podcast. Throughout June 2023, we're running our annual Radiothon, where we ask you, the listener, to make a donation so that we can continue to make great radio. Your donation will help keep us community-owned and community-controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au slash donate. And with that done, please enjoy the podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Welcome to Freedom of Species, the show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. And you will have just heard Out of the Pan with Sally. Out of the Pan is on every Sunday between 12 and 1 p.m. Today, there's three of us on the show and we have Adam. Howdy. Claire. Hello. And me, it's Caroline. So we are happy to be joining you from our respective locations. I'm actually in Narangoling, which is Bunurong country in south of so-called Melbourne or, or Nam. And, you know, I'd like to pay respects to elders past and present and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded of the lands in which we are today. So today we're reading, oh well, we're sharing our thoughts on a book called Motivational Methods for Vegan Advocacy, a Clinical Psychology Perspective by Dr. Casey Taft. And Dr. Casey Taft um, is a professor of psychology in America, does some large sort of clinical research and also is one of the founders, I believe, of the publishing house that put out this book and other vegan books called Vegan Publishers. So they've got a few books out. It's a very short book, a book describing some thoughts from Casey about methods to talk about and discuss veganism with other people. And he provides a bit of a, a model, as psychologists want to do. He provides a bit of a model that you could use in your approach to vegan advocacy and discussing veganism with people who may not quite be ready to um, discuss it or, or get there, and how you might move someone along the path towards veganism. And this is, it was funny getting prepped for this show because I, I haven't read this book in, I think I read it when it first came out, I think it came out in 2016. And I'm not a psychologist, so the, a lot of the stuff in there was sort of, I found fairly useful. And I, I went back to this um, like post-it notes and big piece of butcher's paper that I have put together back then with the idea that I'll make some sort of like infographic or something out of it. And I've pulled it out of a um, out of a bag in a deep dark corner about two hours ago, and I've noticed that it's got a whole bunch of holes in it where some little mice who I'm currently housing, <laughs> um, who have found their way into the house, and I'm I'm having trouble moving back outside, have um, had fun sort of tearing it up into little bits. So I've got some notes here with me. 
but some are a bit holy and a bit missing some of the key points. But yeah, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on the book, Claire and Caroline, and whether you think there's useful things to take away from the book for vegans and vegan advocates and where it might be improved or where our thinking might have progressed in the last few years. And I, I suppose, I wonder if it's worth starting off with, who do you think this book's for? Who is it written for? Do you have any thoughts on that? I assumed that the book was written by Casey for people who were already involved or becoming involved in animal rights advocacy. That was my assumption because there's some discussion around what some of the fairly large mainstream um, animal rights organisations are doing and their general approach to advocacy and things like that that I don't think would resonate so much or or may may not be there may not be an awareness of those things for, for people, you know, who are not sort of involved in, shall I say, the movement. I feel that Casey doesn't really hold back in, in what he sees as being some of the issues around use of language, perhaps quite a poor understanding of behaviour and what might motivate someone to to change or, or to reflect on and change their behaviour, which I actually thought was really quite um, interesting. But, yeah, mm. I, I think it's written for people who either are already involved in animal advocacy or really want to get more involved mm. and also want to reflect on their own practice and think about how they can be more effective yeah, definitely had a tone of being addressed to like an insider audience. Yeah, I think that a lot of the the critiques that are offered wouldn't maybe make sense if you weren't already part of the movement or you yeah, didn't have much awareness of what some of the animal advocacy organisations were saying. So, yeah, definitely I felt, yeah, it was written for people who are already vegans and part of the activist community as well. Yeah. And I think one other aspect that I think how they're targeting the audience is perhaps people who don't have a lot of background knowledge in psychology or methods of motivation, persuasion and discussion about difficult topics. And that, I think, captures a whole lot of people, the vast majority of people, I suppose. So it's this people in who are interested in vegan advocacy and animal advocacy, and who are also perhaps looking for ways to approach discussions, difficult discussions, discussions that I'm sure we've all found in the past difficult to have in many different situations. And I think everyone does. There's some nice things in here to help. So if you're someone like that, out there listening, this might be an interesting book to have a look at. What are people's thoughts? Just general thoughts to start with. And maybe after we have some general thoughts, we can get into what we thought was good and what we thought could be improved or with things that people might want to look out for when reading the book. I mean, my general thoughts are, are a bit critical, so <laughs> maybe yeah. I'm not the best person to start this off with. Maybe I can jump in with some of the, the critique Caroline, if you want to offer sure. some more general sure. reflections before. No problem. Well, as I say, I think you know, Casey doesn't really pull any punches and I quite like the fact that he starts the book off by saying that, in his view, promoting anything that less than veganism will likely lead to individuals doing more harm to animals both in the short term and the long term. 
and and sees that as validating this sort of societal norm that animals mm. are ours to use and perpetuating an atmosphere that prevents greater social change. So I really liked the constant messaging that about thinking about veganism in context of social justice and that he really did take a swipe at, you know, the reducitarian sort of model. So, you know, I really, I'm on board with that. I was reading it going, yes. Yeah, um, I definitely, I definitely agree. I think, and some of my notes, if I look back over this um, half chewed up post-it note thing, like any reduction of use should be framed in the end goal of ending all use. You know, these really strong points on veganism as a minimum goal, right? And not sort of going too softly, softly. And one of the things that I I actually have taken away from this book many years since I've read it was that it's okay to be assertive about your position. It's okay to disagree with people when having a discussion. In fact, active listening and active discourse disagreement is going to happen. And it's not about just backing down, but disagreeing and being comfortable in that disagreement, but not being an asshole, (laughs) not being nasty about it, but recognizing that we can disagree about things, but also respecting our own positions. And I've got a section on this mind map that really how I felt that Casey starts out the book, which I really appreciated, is what do we need to know and do and remember about ourselves to be effective advocates. And I think that there's certain things that they highlight in the book that help us reflect on ourselves and and ensure that, you know, we stick to our principles and we're assertive about our principles and we don't um, sort of capitulate just because we have a sense of um, sticking to to norms of propriety and and not um, upsetting people. Yeah, I really like some of the ideas he put forward about language use and the difference between you can't, like, for example, this has come up recently, like this idea of as a vegan you can't eat something and it's Mm. like actually I can but I won't. Um, And to me I really, really appreciated that. I think that's a really, really important distinction. And I think, you know, there is a real misunderstanding about different communication styles. You know, there's a passive style, an aggressive style, and then an assertive style. And I think when, you know, often we're socialised to be quite passive in our communication style. So when people are assertive and assertive in a really healthy way, that can sound aggressive. Mm to others so yeah that's that's kind of an insight from the sort of psychological perspective he's offering that I thought was really useful that yeah assertiveness is is a really useful communication style yeah yeah absolutely I really did like some of the it probably might seem quite pointed criticism of some of the large animal rights organizations And I think it was in the section about language and talking about how important that is and when terms get sort of thrown back perhaps to us about being a vegan police or more purity and and that kind of thing that Casey made the point that it's quite sad that a lot of mainstream animal advocacy decisions are informed on sort of market research and, you know, Mm -hmm. it, it is about softening that message and making it more palatable and... I don't know, this is my take, almost sort of being a bit of an apologist. And 
I mean, nothing's going to happen and we're not going to kind of get that radical shift in people's thinking if we are sort of a bit half-baked about it. So, you know, I, I liked that he had some pretty strong views about that and I think that we should be able to be self-reflective enough to understand, as you say, the end goals are really what's most important and we're really doing a disservice to animals and I really think to our own efforts if we sort of take that approach. Yeah, and I suppose one thing that I, um, I'm trying to remember how far they go into it, but they sort of highlight the misuse of the term effective yes. in effective animal advocacy. And this has been a bugbear of mine for many years now, is that lots of people talk about doing effective advocacy, but I just don't think we know what effective advocacy is, for one, and that it is going to look so different for so many different people. So what's effective for one group, it's not going to be effective for another group. And I think that a lot of orgs, they have a way that they like and that they promote and they say, this is the one way to do things. Um, mm. And I think that that's, that's quite problematic because I haven't seen any research and I haven't been looking specifically um, intensely over the last sort of three years or so, but Prior to that, I haven't seen any research that really speaks to what effective advocacy would mean, especially when people, I think, actually, when they say effective advocacy, they mean like generalizable effective advocacy. And I'm just not sure that that may even exist, that this idea that we can do generalizable effective advocacy, like this idea that, oh, well, if everyone just reduces that's the sort of this generalizable effective advocacy. So if everyone, so we make this assumption that, and the logic is, if everyone reduces just a little bit, then we make a big difference. But we don't even know if we can get everyone to reduce just even a little bit. It's just, I don't know, we, we have these concepts and there's just no evidence to back it up, which I think might actually be a bit of a problem with Cassie's arguments as well, because they're sort of shifting from one space where they've done lots of research and it seems like some of these methods are effective in certain contexts and they, they're suggesting an implementation of it in veganism and animal rights and, well, I just I didn't see the data and I don't think we have the data yet either. And it's very difficult data to get. <laughs> this is the other thing. It's just sort of like, I don't know what experiments you'd do to make some sort of generalizable claim on these sorts of things. I do wonder if there's more lessons for animal advocacy and, you know, vegan principles. <laughs> um, I'm not sure I love the word animal advocacy, but anyway, we'll <laughs> not deconstruct everything I say. But yeah, I just wonder if maybe rather than basing it in psychology, in clinical psychology, if there was actually evidence from social movements because I think to me yeah there's a like almost an NGOization I think is the buzzword and and there's I know I think it's Haymarket have got a new book out critiquing the NGOization of social movement organizing and I want to read it but I haven't read that yet but it does seem like it's thinking about veganism rather than being a social movement as mm. something different mm. yeah and I think it's interesting that he critiques 
the use of marketing data to inform people's operations, but he doesn't have the same critical lens approach to his own discipline area. So that was some of my frustration was clinical psychology. He acts like it's this pure science, right? That it's not actually deeply entwined with capitalist hegemony and trying to actually, in a lot of ways, a lot of critiques that I have of psychology is that it's actually just trying to make us into good neoliberal subjects rather than actually functional, healthy human beings. And, you know, that really famous quote, like it's no measure of an individual to be well adjusted to an incredibly sick society. So I I bring that really sort of critical lens to thinking about psychology as a way of, yeah, approaching people. And I, yeah, and there are a couple of moments where he talked about how his research is funded by the Department of Defence, as if that's a good thing. <laughs> I was like, alarm bells, alarm bells. Like, do we not critique the fact that you're doing research that's of worth to, you know, this massive imperialist war machine in, in the US? Like, <laughs> yeah. So those were some of my kind of initial reactions to the text was like, it's, it's psychology is not a pure science and he doesn't seem to at all grapple with that in the text, which was a frustration. And then there was this really hyperbolic claim he made about cognitive behavioural therapy being like the best way to heal people with, I think he said PTSD. And I was like, oh, there's plenty of critiques maybe that have come up in the last six years since the book or seven years since the book was published, but I've seen a lot of critiques of CBT and, yeah, and that that idea of making people fit into these incredibly sick social structures. How do you think that that impacts the arguments that they're making around communication techniques towards non-vegans? I thought it was really funny that... So he takes this really like adamant thing that, you know, you've, you can't have incrementalism. You've got to drive people towards this, you know, and he, and he's using the example of violent offenders that he's worked with. So your idea is not to say to that violent offender, you need to reduce your violent behavior. It's that you've got to end your violent behavior and, and work towards developing the tools to do that. And I can see some, you know, that's a really interesting and, and valid argument that he's making. But then he says, but that's not how I became to be vegan. And I was like, and that's not how I came to be vegan <laughs> either. So it's like, he's advocating this really like hard line, you must push people to be vegan and nothing else. But that wasn't his own experience and, yeah, and that certainly wasn't mine either. So, yeah, I was like, okay, why are you being so dismissive of something that that actually worked for you as an individual and and worked for me? That was one thing that came up. Mm. Yeah, I wonder, that that's, a, I suppose, a conversation that I think I've had with Caroline and others. And I wonder, the way that I tend to think about it, and I think I agree with Casey in that approach, is because there are only so many vegans who will push for the end goal of veganism. Yeah. All the other people can waste their time or, you know, put their effort into doing something less. But if all the vegans also just go for smaller increments, 
then it's sort of like we set the standard so that people can get there and they can get there through other means. But if we don't set that higher standard, maybe they never get there. I don't know, or, or set that higher goal. Maybe they just rest on their laurels and only eat chickens and eat a whole bunch of them. I just wonder, you know, where, and I know this is probably falling into all of the kind of gradualist traps that you know, he's advocating against, but I do wonder, you know, when you're meeting people who are socialised in such an animal exploitation species of society, you know, for me a lot of the trouble about even conceptualised being vegan was just it seemed so different to, you know, everything that I'd ever been brought up, every way that I've ever been brought up. It's, it just seemed really difficult and re at a real distance. And so for me some of that... You know, I became vegan from being involved in Sea Shepherd and from hanging out with vegans who, yeah, who just showed me that it was possible to be vegan mm. uh, and taught me a lot of really basic skills. And I just, yeah, and that's kind of my experience and what I've tried to do with my vegan advocacy. Yeah, so that's, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, we seem to give taken very different things from the book um or different approaches to to yeah Caroline, reflections you like you were going to say something <laughs> oh look lots of things sort of going through my my um thoughts listening to you both because yeah i mean i think we probably have focused on sort of different aspects of the book of the work which is which is absolutely fine i'm not sure that i took away that casey was saying you know, if we're discussing veganism with people, that them talking about reducing consumption of, you know, animal-based products was a bad thing. But I got from that that, you know, it's something that most of us have experienced or many of us have experienced as you're sort of learning more and thinking about how you can, you know, adapt within your own life and all of that. I really took it that he was having a shot at that idea of reducitarianism that just seems to be more marketable. Yeah. Um, and and I, again, you know, as I said earlier, I think one of those earlier chapters was about, you know, really firmly promoting change in the context of social justice. So that really did in that early section all really resonate with me. So I'm like, yes. And, and you know how there's some sort of sample kind of conversations and things and some of them and some of them are a bit of a miss, I really think. But I think bringing it back to why veganism is important in terms of social change and, you know, that it's more than just what happens to animals, mm. of what happens to, to people in capitalist systems, I thought was good. And I think there's quite a number of organisations I think would really benefit from reading some of that. And I yeah, and I, I think that, yeah, similarly, I, I didn't think that they were necessarily saying, you know, if someone suggests that they're not going to go vegan tomorrow, then you're like, well, you should go vegan tomorrow. Like, they're very clear that you maintain your position. Well, I believe that you should be vegan. That is the standard that you should meet. That is the ethical position. While also understanding that people are their own person and they're going to go and do their own thing. But by us taking that position, we sort of don't just let it slide. 
Because, I mean, I wonder if I'd come across vegans and when I see them on some sort of forum somewhere and they're like, oh, yeah, no, I'm a vegan, but people can eat what they want. I sort of get pissed off. I'm like, come yeah. on. If we're not going to stand up for animals, who the fuck is, right? And so it's sort of like, I think that it's it's about that assertiveness and sort of maintaining the point that the end goal should be not harming animals, but recognising that we shouldn't be shaming people into that. I've got this a couple of points here about things that entrench the use of animals. And so mm-hmm. using shame to say, well, you know, if someone said, well, I, I'm not going to go vegan tomorrow, then this is part of the active listening, the understanding, building relation, a positive relationship. It's about, well, you know, let's continue having the chat. And if I can ever support you to get to the point where you're vegan, which is where you should be heading, then let's continue the discussion. I think one thing that's perhaps we're sort of talking around is that, and I think it's coming up with the critiques that we've had so far, is that this is a very atomized response. This is a one-on-one conversational response. This is not systemic change. This is just about me being a human talking to another human. And that's only one part of, of the solution set. And the NGOs who are talking about reduced terrium, as you say, Caroline, because it's sellable, because it gets them more members, I think it's a different conversation and an interesting one that has to be had. But I think that we're talking at different scales. Mm. And this, it's not systemic. It's not about systemic change. And I think that requires different thinking, different conversations, different approaches. But for one-on-one conversations, I think there's some good communication techniques suggested, some good ways to think about other people, not just like thinking about them as if they're idiots, but recognizing. And in my psychom classes, you know, the same thing we talk about, how do you discuss with someone who might be a science denier? You build relationship, you build understanding and similarity, you meet them where they are, recognize and sympathize with their position, why they might be there, but disagree, disagree and hold your position and have nice conversations, (laughs) nice challenging conversations. I think that's what I mostly got out of this is it's okay to have nice challenging conversations and to help people think differently about things and also hold a position like it's okay for us to hold a position. Yeah, no, I think that's such an important point. And yes, I think you're exactly right. I think a lot of my frustrations with the text is I come from this, from a very like structuralist, communist (laughs) approach to the world or to smash capitalism. And some of the, the sort of issues I had around, you know, I felt like a very singular understanding of social justice was being advanced and it was one that was entirely wedded to, you know, veganism as being the most important sort of ethic that you can take out into the world. And coming from my academic background, which is um, Indigenous studies, you know, to me that really grates up against, you know, a respect for Indigenous sovereignty and a recognition of, of the impacts of cultural genocide, you know, in settler colonial societies. And so, yeah, I think, Caroline, 
some of the critiques that we read in Zane's, the edited volumes that we talked about with Zane in our interview a couple of weeks ago were critiques exactly of, of this kind of very white, very imperialist kind of approach to social social change. And I think that those one-on-one conversational skills that are offered are really useful. Um, as Caroline, you said, though, some of them were a bit hit and <laughs> some of them were a bit miss. I really struggled as a disabled person. I really struggled with the idea that being vegan was going to make you happier and healthier. Um, I found that quite a eugenicist sort of approach to take to, and, and you know, one that we've critiqued on this show before, um, you know, it sticks in my mind that the episode that I did on um, anti-vax sort of sentiment in the vegan community is there is this really strong kind of like almost survival of the fittest, um, non-vegans deserve to die, awful right-wing politics that comes out at certain moments. And, and so I struggled with some of his examples in particular there was the one where the author told the person that their loneliness paled in comparison to animal suffering. And I was like, oh my God, please don't say things like that. Like my psychologist would slap me across the head if, if I said something like, like that in a session. So to read it in a book written by a psychologist was, was very grating. Um, and I was like, that is not a useful thing to say to somebody who is intensely lonely um, to say, well, that pales in comparison to animal suffering because you can't, yeah, quantify suffering like that and it's not it's not a useful way of thinking about or relating to the world so yeah but yes i i very much take on point on board your points that i think i struggle with the individual conversational kind of level of, of a lot of what's being advocated rather than the the large structural social justice change that that are in text that i usually engage with and I suppose that comes back to your initial critiques of the academic context, which is psychology, psychiatry, which is all individual based. You yeah. know? Like there's, they don't do, um, they're not social scientists, they're not going wider and they're not humanities scholars who are even going higher, wider than that, sociologists or whatever. They're very much about the individual and, yeah, and it's yeah. all like you can't change how how other people treat you. You can only change your reactions. And it's like mm. <laughs> actually exploitation and oppression suck. And, you know, and I should actually be able to rage against these things. It's not an unhealthy psychological response to rage against the state of the world. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I can't beat that by, you know, meditating and doing some mindful practice that's not going to overthrow capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly not raging against the world isn't going to liberate animals either. I think a bit of rage against the systems that oppress is uh, pretty healthy. Absolutely. And I would argue that if you're not angry about what's happening in the world, like really? Are you actually paying attention? Are you really engaged in what's what's going on? Um, yeah. There's an incredible book called Pollution is Colonialism that I've been doing for a reading group that's written by an Indigenous scientist, Max Leveron. And one thing that really stuck out to me from the last, or the chapter that we've just finished is the difference between harm and violence. And Max advocates that, you know, you've got to have a really like understanding harm is more at that kind of individual 
um, low level and if you understand violence as something that's deeply structured into society is actually a really good sort of analytic way of thinking about how the world operates. So Max uses the example of rubbish and plastic waste and the fact that some countries are labelled as being the most, the countries that contribute the most to plastic pollution because there's kind of this stereotype that people in those countries throw rubbish on the ground that then washes into the waterways that then washes into the oceans and Max is like actually if you if you gather the rubbish which is one organization has done and actually identify who is the producer of that plastic it's massive corporations like coca-cola you know and so that's actually the structural violence that we're facing is not talking about individuals who dispose incorrectly um, instead of sending it off to be burnt or, you know, whatever we buried in Australia, (laughs) you know, it ends up in the oceans. Actually, what we're looking at in terms of pollution is the structural violence that's built into the industrial processes of modern day society. And that's how we understand, that's how we should understand violence. Yeah. That's a great point, and that's added to my book wish list. Um, yeah. We'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and it goes it goes to the point that I think that both of these things need to be discussed hand in hand. And if you know, it's fine to have a book like this, and I think it's a, it's a it contributes some helpful things. But if there was a preface that contextualized and just said, "This is what we're able to do in this book," but more is needed. And this only achieves this small part of a larger discussion, especially when we start to talk about effective advocacy, right? We just can't use that sort of language if we're only doing one part of a very complicated puzzle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, perhaps we should take a pause there and go to a song. So... The song that I'm nominating um, is Working for the Government, which is the 2015 mix by The Hallucination and Buffy St. Marie. So Buffy St. Marie is one of the most famous Indigenous folk singers from the lands that are now known as Canada. Um, And The Hallucination are an incredible duo who invented their own style of music called Power Step. Um, So they mix incredible power recordings from both contemporary and past musicians and musical groups with EDM. It's a banger of a track.
speed topping up every now and then. More tea, auntie. Thanks, bub. Including your COVID protection. If you're an adult and it's been six months since you caught COVID or had a COVID jab, you can now top up with a free COVID-19 booster. It helps keep you and your mob protected from serious illness from COVID-19. So talk to your doctor or health worker about a free COVID-19 booster or visit health.gov.au forward slash top up to find out more. Authorised by the Australian Government, Canberra. A 3CR supporter. Create an impact this end of financial year with a meaningful donation to Children's Ground, a First Nations-led organisation. Children's Ground creates holistic, long-term change with First Nations children, their family and community. Your donation supports an entire generation of First Nations children to grow up strong and empowered in their culture. So, hop on to childrensground.com.au and make a one-off or recurring donation this end of financial year. Children's Ground is a 3CR supporter. If you or someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself or are struggling to help someone else, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 111500. That's 1300 111500. Wellways supports 3CR. Are you feeling depressed about the future of our planet? The Eco-Socialism 2023 conference could address your worries by providing a platform for radical solutions. Activists from around the world will examine the links between the ecological, economic and political crises of our time. You'll hear from Japanese Marxist Kohei Saito, author of Capital in the Anthropocene, who argues that capitalism's pursuit of unlimited growth and profits is the major barrier to ecological sustainability. Inspirational speakers from the Asia-Pacific region, including India, Pakistan and the Philippines, will take up the fight for climate justice and against war and fascism. Eco-socialism also highlights women's and queer oppression, First Nations sovereignty, and so much more, including a session featuring former refugee Baruz Bachani. For more information and bookings, go to our website, ecosocialism.org.au. Ecosocialism 2023, A World Beyond Capitalism, Saturday, July 1 to Sunday, July 2 at Victorian Trades Hall. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to Freedom of Species here on 3CR, Radical Radio. And it is Radiothon, people, so please make sure you get on and subscribe. Um, it's because of you, it's because of the members of the of the station and the community that support 3CR that it exists and has existed for the many decades that it's been service, serving um, our community. So if you like what 3CR does, if you like what we do here at Freedom of Species, please consider um, subscribing. Jump on the website. Uh, 
type in 3CR Radiothon and you'll find the you'll find the stuff that you need um, uh, and become a member. You'll support all the great work that 3CR is doing. So we have been discussing a little book by Dr. Casey Taft called Motivational Methods for Vegan Advocacy, a Clinical Psychology Perspective. And it's me, Adam, Caroline, and Claire here having a chat about it. We think we've we've pretty much um, gotten through the book, but Caroline wanted to make a couple more points um, of discussion. Uh, look, I guess I would just say I think in terms of the positives covered in this book, um, I like the way it delves into active listening and really encourages people to sort of reflect on that because I feel we've probably all had the experience of talking to someone who is essentially not listening to what you're saying. They're waiting for a moment in which that they, they can start talking. So that's not active listening. Um, I, I really thought that was very helpful. And as we probably have discussed, um, not shying away from, you know, assertive communication. So assertive communication obviously is not being aggressive. It's not invalidating what someone else is saying or where, you know, they are at today um, because, you know, that's obviously really counterproductive and sort of shuts down sort of conversations. And I think there's probably a good, um, yeah, I think, I think it just gives a few sort of really helpful points of reflection for people who are having conversations with others. Um, I didn't particularly like all of the adapted conversations, whether they were from social media um, or not. However, they're obviously good things to read as well and think about and reflect and, you know, how those things sort of maybe received by someone um, that we might be trying to, you know, open their minds to to issues around um, animals. Yeah. Another, think, another, okay, well, I think the 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 kind of like the Facebook um uh, what's the word like how he um transcribed some conversations off Facebook, like the really aggressive responses <laughs> that that um, we used as examples are very, very recognisable. And I think that was a really good sort of prompt to think about the ways in which um, all of us communicate because I think especially, you know, being disabled during pandemic, social media is kind of it for, for my um, large-scale sort of communication with the world. And so, yeah, I think I've actually just com almost completely withdrawn from having political conversations on social media because it is so nasty and horrible. Um, but I do sometimes, yeah, I do really wonder as, you know, the only vegan um, in you know, my family and, and circle of friends, I do wonder sometimes are there ways in which I could maybe have conversations with people or try and sort of push um, their consciousness a little bit further. So, yeah, that that's where I found this book to be useful in, in reflecting on those, those interpersonal relationships. Yeah, absolutely. There, there was one other thing that I wanted to sort of mention about the book in general and, um, you know, Casey is a 
representative of a particular field of research. And that comes with a whole lot of baggage. We all, any of us within research and academia, we have baggage of our field and our discipline. And um, one of those things is that psychologists love models and creating models and suggesting this is how the world works. And sometimes those models are useful, um, other times they're not, but models are simplifications of reality and they are never 100% accurate. And depending on the context, they may not be very accurate at all. One model I quite liked, um, but again, you take it with a grain of salt within a, within situations and whatnot, um, is this stages of change model. And I don't think it applies everywhere. Um, but one of the points that I really liked is the pre-contemplation stage. Yes. And this is like the people who are just not even interested in listening. And when you say, Claire, you know, stepping out of, of stepping away from Facebook because the discussions are just so sort of horrible. Um, I did the same thing a few years ago. And it's because so many people I, I realized were just in this pre-contemplative stage. They're just there for an argument. They're not, yeah. no one's interested in having a discussion. Um, yeah. And, and one of the, one of the, um, the points that Cassie makes is that don't bother with pre-contemplative stage people. If you get the sense that they are just not interested, don't waste your time. Your energy is more important to you. Your health is more important to you than wasting your time on people who are just not even in the in the frame of mind to have a constructive discussion. So for anyone out there that's getting really frustrated, whether it's with friends or family or random people on the street or at the pub, whoever it is, um, if if you get the sense that they're just they're just there for a for a fight and there's no sort of engagement with a discussion or a conversation, just don't have the conversation. That's okay. That's fine. I think that was one of the things that I took away from this book as well, that it's okay just to step away and say, yeah, you're not really worth my time at the moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Something else I thought was really interesting is there is a chapter um, about trauma in animal advocacy and said, and um, Casey makes the point that that is not often discussed and I think he's very much coming from the perspective of the trauma that people involved in animal advocacy may have experienced. And I, I agree that, yes, that's not often discussed. But I also think we don't necessarily reflect on the trauma that people we may be wanting to speak to mm. have experienced or may be experiencing. And that's one of the reasons that I really don't like some of the advocacy or street activism that uses graphic footage of animals because people are not consenting to watching that. And I don't want to see it. I mean, I've been on a kill floor in a slaughterhouse. I know what happens there. I've seen it in, in front of my face. I don't want to walk down the street and be confronted with that. And I think that's somewhere another topic that I think, you know, could be a conversation for another day, Caroline. I think um, I don't want to see it either, but I, I think I disagree with whether we should be doing it or not. <laughs> but we are running quickly out of time. So we um, do you want to wrap us up, Caroline? Do, do we have a few more minutes? I don't think so. We just talked for another 10 minutes. So we had 
Have we talked for 10 minutes? I thought yeah. we came back at 8.21. Yeah, okay. I think maybe we've got a couple more minutes left. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, okay. Caroline, now you're going to have to cut all this. So my, my song's four minutes. How long's your song, Claire? Oh, that's a good Oh, no, your song's four minutes. My song is yeah. a different length. So that's almost 10 minutes. And then your if you've got stings in there, we're going to be pushing out to... Okay, so we've got a couple minutes. Maybe we have a couple of minutes, but yeah. <laughs> I'm always conscious of time. Okay. Was there anything else you wanted to discuss then? Wrapping things up. No, I mean, I think that the point you raise is a really interesting one, um, especially in the context of social media um, about what, yeah. I, I mean, Caroline, you and I have talked about this. I was mindlessly scrolling on um, Instagram the other day and saw the video of the police um, in the UK killing two dogs and one tasering the owner. Um, and to be fair to the site that had put it up, they were trigger warnings the whole way through, but because it was like 11.30 at night, I just wasn't, and I was, just wasn't expecting to see it. I hadn't heard that the video was circulating. Um, I went, then went and told a few people, don't watch it if, if, you, if it comes up on your feed. But, yeah, that was, yeah, incredibly traumatising. And I'm already somebody who, you know, wants to abolish the police and ACAB all the way. So it's not convincing to me to see that video. Um, and, in fact, it just was really super traumatising. Um, yeah, so I just, yeah. I do really question the the value of of um, inflicting trauma on other people as a, a method of of um, of convincing them, and I think a lot of us already know. Like a lot of us do know how violent the police are. A lot of us already know how, but it's more that we, you know, in order to be able to to keep functioning in this society, you've got to have that cognitive dissonance of knowing this incredible violence is inflicted constantly on, on other beings um, and on the world systems, on, you know, our relations, both human and non-human. Um, but you've got to, yeah, in order to keep going, you've got to kind of tamp that down and maybe some of our social justice organising can be more about rather than traumatising people through exposing them to things that they are actually do on some level really know, it's actually just kind of empowering them to try and make change about those things that they already know. Yeah. I, I, would, I would argue, though, that a lot of people don't know. Like okay. the vast majority of people don't know. Like we are a very... Um, we we are insulated in who we yeah. who we talk to, what we know, and what we're reading, and and we know. Obviously, I don't watch any of that shit anymore because I can't. It just sends me down a dark hole for days. Yeah. Even just talking about it now, I'm feeling my chest is constricted. I'm thinking about the video. It was horrible. Yeah. Um, but we aren't the target. I don't think. Uh, mm -hmm. We are just not the target. And that's the problem with these algorithms, right, is they create these little bubbles where, yeah, like if I go on social media, I think everybody's like a communist lefty who, vegan, who wants to change the world. And then when I do meet these people in the pre-contemplation stages, I'm like, what even are you? Like, <laughs> I can't have a conversation with you because I, 
I'm so far removed from that headset. And that's why I think Facebook is so, so vile is sometimes you do end up in, in spaces that aren't the algorithm hasn't perfected to your personal preference. And so you are confronted with people who also spend most of their time in, in these very carefully curated online worlds. And so we just don't know how to speak to each other. And we are going to have to wrap it up, but it's been a fantastic conversation and, you know, we'll obviously share um, a link about Casey Tuff's book, but also the book that you mentioned, Claire, Pollution, Colonialism, because I'd love to look that up myself. So thanks so much to both of you. And, Adam, your song, I think, is going to take us out, which is... Diet for a New America by Most Precious Blood. Make sure when in the build-up thing that we're not for the first one because Justin's playing the same thing twice.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.